We're back again. We're on episode number five of our mini-series as we look ahead to the Women's National League. I'm joined tonight by Mark Ross of Wexford Youths. Mark, thanks for coming along to us this evening. Oh, very, very, very nice to uh, speak to you, Aaron. Mark, I guess we'll start off a little bit about you. Obviously, a lot of our listeners wouldn't be as familiar with yourself. Give us a little bit of background on how you got involved in soccer and, and then it, obviously into the women's game as well. Well, being, I'm 52. And I, I, there's photographs of me with football when I was two. And being from, from London, I didn't have the draw of the GEA. So all I had growing up was football and cricket. I played lower league football in England, you know, brown envelope, Saturday afternoon sort of stuff. Played on a Sunday morning with my mates under a different name. I met up with a fellow called Jim Kelman, who I didn't know anything of at the time who was a tutor for the FA and he turned my life around. He wasn't playing very well and he said, well, why don't you get into coaching? So I did what was called the coaching certificate in England in 99, 2000. I was still playing then. And then did my B license with Jim Kelman with the FA. And he instilled a type of coaching, a type of, of way of doing things that I've stuck with quite rigidly since then. But of course, moving over to Ireland in 2007, um, I had to reevaluate how I did my coaching and realised that it wasn't about winning, it was about developing. It took me a lot of years with the help of like Jason Donahue, William Doyle and a few other people, loads of people as usual, you know it's like with coaching. And um, I learned a hell of a lot in a very short time. Will Doyle, who's the RDO for Wexford, asked me if I'd get involved with the county side in Wexford. So I did that for a little while. Through that I got into Wexford use with Shane Keegan, the first team and uh, the underage structure at Works for Use, while still doing my coaching. I then did my A licence. I felt I was ready. I mean, 10 years later, but I felt I was ready. And um, luckily, I didn't go any earlier because I wasn't ready. Like a lot of people, you think you might think you're a bit better than what you really are. So it took me a little while to get through the A licence. Uh, failed my, my, um, I failed my uh, final assessment when you could still fail it. So failing, failing my A-license the first time, um, it, it was a hell of a knockback personally, but I, I took it on the chin. And um, Tom O'Connor, one of the tutors at the FAI, sort of picked me up off the ground, being an ex-army man like myself. He said, you know, buckle up, son, you know, go again. So I, t- I took a little while. I went to the UK, uh, watched some great coaches over in the UK and got involved with a few things, tried again, and, and I passed, luckily. And then done my Elite A licence last year, which is a, a fantastic type of course. The Elite A licence isn't a coaching course. It's more of a, an administration and how to run an academy type course. So if anyone that was interested in doing that, I would highly recommend that course. It's a, not an adversarial type of course. You know, it's, it's a learning, a completely 100% learning environment. We went over to Crystal Palace, so it's all behind the scenes. But in that process as well, Luckily, I've got a very good friend, Dave Evans, who runs the uh, Community Trust at Reading Football Club. So I got to see what he was doing. So I learned a lot about how to, how to run clubs or how to run academies. The year previous to that, Gary Cody asked me if I'd get involved with a new enterprise, a new franchise in, with Carlo Kakeni, which I jumped on board. Now, I know I wasn't the first choice. I know I wasn't the 10th or 20th choice doesn't really matter to me it's the fact that I had the opportunity to um, help underage players which is where my passion is so we got the the, the um, we got the club off the ground 
very successful first year with, with the under 15s. Um, successful in the way I gauge success in as much as a vast majority of them players carried on playing, enjoyed the uh, experience. We took them uh, abroad as well to play a few games. Um, we felt it was running going so well that we applied for 17s licence. Took a little bit more work, work to get that over the line, but we got it over the line, thank heavens, and thanks to the FAI. So we, then we had the 15s and 17s running last year. Again, ran really well successfully. A lot of, as usual with, with clubs in Ireland, a lot of people doing a lot of things free, a lot of their personal time being taken up doing it, and a lot of things happening behind the scenes. Well, in the processes of that, I was doing a coaching course. I was tutoring because I'm an FAI auxiliary tutor. I was tutoring on a course, and there's a young lady on it who I felt was very, very good. There was a lot of people on that course, and she shone as being a good coach. Now, I don't differentiate between male and female coaches. I differentiate between good and bad coaches. So I asked her if she'd like to get involved with the Carla Kenny under-17 boys, with my mindset being in a year or two's time, hopefully she would take it over, you know? So we applied for the girls' licence, got it, and um, I think Gemma was a great person to, to get involved in that. Peter, the chairman, a few others felt it'd be better to even throw her in the deep end and, and, and let her run it, and she's doing a really good job. And um, I think that's the best thing to do. I'm not saying women should run women's football or men should run men's football. I'm just saying all clubs should give coaches an opportunity to coach, which when I started wasn't there. I think we should all start bringing in the younger coaches in because they're very enthusiastic, very, very knowledgeable and they're good coaches. So Gemma's now off and running with the girls 17s. Unfortunately, the COVID-19 thing is curtailed her progress and the club's progress, but um, it's only a little blip. I, I love how you said it. I spoke to Dave. I spoke to Dave Rooney as well as part of the series, and he said the exact same thing regarding female and male coaches. He said he goes, "I don't you don't differentiate against them." But like in terms of you, you've mentioned some of the good the FAI have doing, like bringing in a, a women's only UEFA B license, encouraging players who who are playing. Yeah, maybe we, some people. The, we, we got, I, I got the paperwork done for Gemma to make sure she got on that. Uh, not, I'm not saying I pulled any strings or anything. She got in on her own merit. But what I'm saying is, is um, we made sure that we explained the importance to the club and to her that she got on the B licence. And she got on there on her own merit, but um, she's flying. And I, 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 I understand why they want to have the female-only ones. I've been on courses over the years where there are women on the course and I do feel that they're not enjoying it as much and they may feel slightly intimidated. And some of the best known uh, names in women's football have gone down, have gone through that route. Unfortunately, for a couple of years, maybe they need to, to separate them for no other reason to make sure that they feel comfortable. And once they start feeling comfortable, I think you should go back to the mixed setup. But um, look, who cares? As long as there's more coaches, good quality coaches getting qualifications, I don't care how they do it, as long as they get more coaches in. Like the FAI seem to be doing a great job on the coach education stuff. Like even over this current pandemic, they've webinars coming up constantly, constantly keeping people engaged, putting stuff up on social media regarding stuff as well. Like they're doing a fantastic job. And they do. I don't think they get enough credit for their coach education. Yeah. Funny enough, I was talking to someone today, uh, and and I said I was talking about the UK, and uh, actually I was talking about legal Wales because I have a lot of friends in legal Wales, have for West County, one of my clubs that I was an academy coach at, I've just got their premier license. They got promoted. 
And I was saying they've got a job going for uh, academy director, £25,000 a year, which is not a lot of money for a full-time job. And I said, but the thing is, we're so good at knocking ourselves here that we should really start looking at leagues of the same standing as ours and realise, and <clears throat> countries the size of ours, and realise that actually we're punching well above our weight and we need to stop knocking ourselves and the governing body and start applauding it. Yes, okay, look, it's got its problems, but the coach education part of the, of the FAI is world-class, mate. And I, I mean that genuinely. I've been to a lot of places. It is world-class. Like I, I, you see a lot of people criticising, especially over the prices of example, just an example, the likes of the pro license. But then again, people don't realise what it actually entails in terms of, for the, okay, it's cheaper in other countries, but the likes of your site visits, your club visits, like they cover all them. Like, and the fact that you're having such competition to get onto these courses just shows that a lot of people want to do it. Like you look at the the pro licenses in recent years. Well, look at some, make some of the names. You can make it cheaper if you want. If you want one one tutor to to, to uh, teach everybody, and you, you want no club visits, and you don't want um, the atmosphere and the and the learning environments, you can make it cheap as you like. But that's not what it's about. I mean, th- let's be honest about this. If you're moaning how much the pro license costs, is it really the thing for you? Absolutely not. And and I mean that genuinely now because I spent a lot of money um, getting my coaching badges and even down to the A license, the course itself is, is not, it is expensive, I suppose. But when you add on the price of hotels and add on the cost of travel and add on the cost of, of lost earnings and stuff, it's a big investment in your education. But if no one's making you do it, no one's coming to your door saying, come on, come on, come on, do this course. Now I understand that people can't afford it. A lot of people can't afford it. No, I couldn't afford it when I was younger which is why I did it when I was older. But compared to other governing bodies, I would suggest that most courses under the B licence in Ireland, more of them are free than they are costing people now. What other governing body give away as many free courses as the Irish governing body do? Now, I'm not spokesman for the FAI. They have their faults. But as an outsider coming in, I realised that actually you should stop knocking it. I absolutely agree. Like... At times I do criticise them, but when they do something something well, I'm the first to hold my hand up and say that was brilliant and emphasise what they've done well because okay, every every organisation has its flaws, but they are trying their best and and for coach education, you can certainly see that they do try their best in terms of trying to get the best coaches and give give coaches an opportunity. Like you see, even within the national league itself, you see some of the coaches getting a look at involved with uh, underage Ireland setups as well and helping them gain experience that well, they, they'll bring back. If you see in the League of Ireland now, how many clubs have employed directors of football, have employed youth development officers type of positions? That's, that was unheard of four or five years ago in Ireland. That, that was unheard of. So the years of chipping away in the background that's been going on has started to flourish. I mean, look at our underage setup at international level. You can't tell me there's many countries with the population that we've got with a sport that's not the number one sport in the country that are doing as well as we are. None. Probably none. I mean, you've got to remember, this is not the national sport. This, don't go on about the amount of people that are playing it and blah, blah, blah. This is not the national sport. Yet it's still able to compete at a good level 
in Europe um, with minimal funding, minimal money. You know, money isn't everything. It does help. Trying to force people to take coaching courses is not the way forward either. But because the amount of coaching courses that are now free is allowing people that wouldn't get the opportunity to start on the coaching pathway gives them an opportunity to get involved. And that's male and female. And, um, absolutely. Like, and, but, um, and that money's not all coming from UEFA. That, that's, that's the education. That's been driven by the, the, the hierarchy of the education department in, in this country. Now, a lot of these people that knock it, I would suggest have never got involved with it. It's like most things in life. And the ones that have got involved in it tend to change their attitude. Now, having a qualification does not make you a good coach. Of course it doesn't. But what it does do is give you a grounding of fundamentals on how to approach coaching, how to uh, arrange sessions, how to do things in order. So it just gives you an idea, gives you a grounding. It doesn't make you a good coach. Talk to me a little bit. Talk to me. We'll obviously move on to the coaching side now, as Jack's on the fixed side. Talk to me about how you got involved with Wexford Youths this season. Well, I was at Wexford with the, with the boys' section and the men's a few years ago. A few things went, you know, a few things didn't go my way or whatever. You know, a few, few things changed. So I, I, I left and went to Carlo. And um, Tom Elms, who's the manager at Wexford Youths, is probably one of my longest running friends I've had since I've come to Ireland and we were just having a discussion about a few things and I said look I, I wouldn't mind you know helping you out if you want you know if you, if you want a bit of help and he said yeah grand come on board so it, I sort of fell into it rather than by design um, I did a few sessions with with um, Will Doyle when he was manager of the of the women's team when I was doing the A license and um I loved the, the setup and the way they did things. Um, the standard of women's football is multiple hundreds of times better than it was when I was younger because people are investing time and effort into it. It's like anything, isn't it? But some of the girls that are in that squad, that works with you squad, especially one of them, I've already said it to loads of people. She is probably at her age, still under 17, one of the best technical players with the right attitude that I've come across male or female in 20 years of coaching. I won't ask you to name the player, but that's quite, that's quite a, a high statement. Like, because coming from me, I started my coaching at Wickham Wanderers. And um, so I started a professional club and sort of came downhill and I'm starting to come back up again sort of thing. And Alan Devonshire was the first man, first man ever to give me any coaching hours. He's the manager of Maidenhead. And when I was at Wickham, I stood and sat and listened to all of what was going on there. And there was talented players coming through them doors and going straight back out another door. And it was nothing to do with their talent. Professional clubs look for players with the right attitude. And it's like a circle. It's like a cake. They need to fulfill every slice of that cake to make it. So they're not necessarily the most gifted player or necessarily the most technically gifted player, but they are of a high standard of all the elements in the cake. And I've coached some fantastic players. One of them was actually an England under 16 international player who now plays pub football for an Indian side called Singh Sayab in Slough in England because his attitude was poor. And that boy was destined to go all the way. And there's half a dozen lads that I've coached like that that were at West Ham, QPR, 
uh, Leighton Orient, has played pub football now. And two of them actually don't play football at all anymore. And it's because of the attitude. So what professional clubs are looking for is, yes, you've got to have a good grasp of the game. But you also need the right temperament for the game. And that young lady has it all. Um, and Rihanna Jarrett is another one. Same thing. Has the right attitude. Um, comply, you know, applies herself correctly. Um, fits the brief that you expect for the highest level of footballer. But, um, yeah, I mean, the standard of some of them girls is... Well, there's no way I was as good as them at their age. That's the start. It, it's it's great when it's great when you say when when you hear stuff like that because I love hearing things like that because a lot of people try to knock the women's game and they try to knock it constantly. Oh, the standards this, the standards that. But like especially when people see like you see when Rihanna Jarrett had that performance for Ireland against I'll take the Ukraine game as a prime example where yeah. she was absolutely sublime. And I was just saying to people, it's like I've been watching that for years now. And nobody, nobody cares to come out and watch the National League. And then as soon as you see that and tell you, like, they're all tweeting about it. And you're like, she's been on your doorstep for so long. And the thing is, though, I have to hold my hands up here. I came from that camp of poo-pooing women's football because you got to remember I played in the 80s. And it, it was the bubble I was in. You know, it was a men-orientated bubble. It's a man-only sport sort of bubble. So, of course, it rubs off on you, doesn't it? And it's not to you watch stop listen and learn that you realize that at the end of the day it's still only a foot hitting a ball doesn't matter whether it's male or female now of course there are um men that are going to be slightly stronger or have different attributes to women in sport that's fine but it doesn't mean that they're not going to get catch up now i'll give an example i went over to portugal a few years ago uh, to benfica and there was an under 12s game Boys versus girls, under 12s, and the girls are winning the game. Now, I'm not saying that as a, you know, I'm not saying that that's a fantastic thing or gloating thing. What I'm trying to say is the standard of football now is starting to equalise at the younger ages. Hopefully, over the years, the, it will equalise. And as the years go by, the standard are equal each age group. Now, if they can do it under 12 in Benfica, give it another couple of years, it'd be under 13, under 14, under 15. You know what I mean? So it will get there, it take time, but it, would, it needs time and investment, not necessarily money, but an investment of time and effort to get there. So would it be fair to say that you'd be one of these that would advocate for over the next couple of years to potentially have Women's National League, maybe a 15th, 13th, and potentially 19th as well? Yeah, I don't see... <clears throat> I See, I would see... The, the thing with me is, and I'm going to get chastised for it, I just want people to play sport. You know, I just want people to play sport and I want them to play at the highest level that's available to them at any age group. Now, if that means having a national league for that age group, then so be it. As long as it doesn't, it's not detrimental to all the other children that want to play the sport, but not necessarily at that level. So what I'm trying to get at is the investment needs to be at every level, not just at the elite level. This is sport at the end of the day. What I'm trying to say is, you always need your elite level. I know people don't like that word, but look, we need to find some word for it. You always need your elite level of any sport, but it shouldn't be de detrimental that the, the children that aren't at that level still should get a high standard of coaching and still get a high standard of enjoyment of the sport. Now, if that means you have an under-13s National League, under-15s National League, that's not saying that they, they, they shouldn't be able to play in other sports. What I'm trying to get at is... If it's good for the boys, it should be good for the girls. 
Now, again, I can't be a hypocrite. Years ago, I wouldn't have had that attitude, but it's only been in seeing it and being around it and being around other coaches and being around the education department at the FAI that I realised that I was a dinosaur and my attitude was a dinosaur attitude and my attitude has changed. And seeing the standard of the sport in this country at the moment, there's only one way it's going to go. And that's up. And like I said, at Benfica, you've got an under-12s game, boys and girls, and the girls are winning the game. I know the score isn't important, but what I'm trying to say is the level of their competitiveness is the same with that age group. As the years go by, I think that age group will creep up. So then in a few years' time, it'd be under 14 level. Under 15 level, they'd be be equal. Then under 16, under 17 level, they'd be equal. So at the end of the day, it shouldn't really matter whether it's men or women or boys and girls playing a sport. It is a sport. And I did read that they've taken the um, women's um, FAI Cup away from from the Aviva to the Tala Stadium. Now, the Tala Stadium is a lovely stadium, but it's it's got it's a retrospective, it's a backward step. It's a backward step because I know the crowds not, might, might not be the same, but he's not telling me that the crowds aren't better than what they were four or five years ago. So it takes time. But now going down to the Tala Stadium, it's, it's as if it makes it a second level competition, when it shouldn't. If you're going to have equality, you should have equality across the board. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I have had opinions on, on this programme and on other programmes regarding the same thing. Where I've said I'll get behind it going to Tallis Stadium, I don't agree with it, but I said I will get behind it for the purpose of of the girls. But like for me, one thing that we're just on this subject as well, in particular, not sorry necessarily the FA Cup, but the girls underage sections and stuff like that. Like we're gradually now, thankfully, moving away from the stage where we see the girls having to play for underage boys team that they're actually getting the opportunity to to develop within a group themselves a lot younger now. Yeah. But we're also moving away from the, they've got to get changed in the, in the car park and, and share the same kit, you know, which wasn't that many years ago. So things are getting better. For some people, it's never fast enough. For other people, it, it, you know, it's perfect. But what I'm saying is, if we keep going in the same direction, eventually it will even out. No, not as fast as it should do. And there will unfortunately be uh, players that will miss out because they've never done quick enough. But um, being involved or, or, or watching the women's game develop over the last few years, it's an exciting um, part of the sport to be involved in. Because, again, I, I do say a lot of things that upset some people that I don't mean to, but as a coach, women tend to take on information a lot quicker and are a lot easier to work with than men can be. Not all, and I'm not saying all, but they do tend to take on information a lot quicker. Now, that might just be a fluky thing I've noticed recently or not, I don't know, but by talking to other coaches, I don't seem to be far off the facts. So, as a coach, it's a, it's a very enjoyable experience. Like, me, me personally, I've heard that saying being said so many times, but, like, in terms of standards of football and stuff like that, like, I always say that we should aim to be... Just like the English League, the Women's Super League, the way they've developed over the last ten over the last ten years, like they've gone and excelled. Like there's no reason why that they may not get parity to what the men have in England, but there's no reason why we can't get something similar where we have a professional league over time. Yeah, but then see, 
country, we've all got to understand, again, that this is not the number one sport in the country. No. It's never going to be having the funding. It's never going to have the funding that we would all love. So we have to work with what we've got. And we are definitely ahead. When you think of the, percent, the amount of money invested into sport, we're definitely getting the best bang out of the buck that you can get. You know, and um, people go on about Iceland and lots of other places. But again, it's not their national sport. You know, it's, it's not it's the number one sport in these countries. And there's a lot of governmental funding. We don't get a lot. Of, we do get governmental funding, but not a percentage terms, not as much as they'll get, say, like in the UK. I mean, you go to Northern Ireland, you need a, an Astro pitch in Northern Ireland. There's six different government bodies you can go to to get funding. So by hook or by crook, you'll get your funding, which is why in the north there's so many pitches. Because if you don't get it from the lottery board, you can go to another development board, then you've got the, another development board, then you've got the you know the government ones, and, and there's loads of grants and stuff. So we don't have that down here either. That's and in our own county in Wexford, technically we've only got one pitch that could, that could be used for League of Ireland. That's not good, especially considering if we see clashes where... Well, one, you think that the participation in Wexford is, is, is not the highest, only one of the highest in Ireland per capita. And that, that's not just, I'm not just banging on about Ireland. I mean, we, we go down to Kerry and play Kerry, and that's a lovely facility down there, right? And they're building a second pitch at the back. But when you think the size of Kerry and the size of Clare and places like that, we should be... I say we, but we as a community, should be uh, using more of the, the, the country's money in developing sports complexes for all, for all sports. And when I look around my local area, every GEA pitch has floodlights, has training facilities. A lot of them have indoor facilities as well, which is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. But why can't we have that for, say, football, soccer, you know, whatever you want to call it, and rugby, you know? We need to bring the other sports up to the same level, if possible. No, I, I agree. And, with, I agree with and that. And by that, then there'll be more facilities for these children to to enjoy. There won't be so much of the sharing. I mean, you got kids that go that go to training twice a week, get an hour. By the time they've got on the pitch, because the team before them were on too long, and then they've got to get off early to the next team on. They've got like thirty minutes, forty minutes, and of that, how much? Coaching time did they get? 10, 15 minutes. You know? Yeah, like that, that's, and then, that's and then, tough. And then a year down the line, they wonder why these kids aren't, aren't, aren't developed as well as the, the Dublin boys or you know, things like that. It's, it's because they have more facilities and more useful facilities in the, in Dublin than they do in the parts of the country where you've got the room to have more facilities if you get the drink. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why that's where like things like... The IT Carlo relationship for Wexford Youth is massive because it gives, it gives you that facility to have there. Like, it gives you opportunities that you can use facilities, potential scholarships. Like, there's loads of input that that gives you for that region. Like, and I, I agree, I agree with you. Like, and I said this to to I spoke to the Treaty United chairman and I spoke to man their manager Dave Rooney and I said to him about getting sponsorships and scholarships at local local clubs to use facilities and stuff like that. And even they're saying that it's imperative because otherwise. National National League Soccer, especially with the amount of teams that there is, there isn't enough facilities in most clubs that to, no, to do it. If you, if you took away Limerick, UCD, Carlo IT, WIT and Athlone IT, we would be in real trouble. Because that, 
know we've got the senior Leinster League, but what I'm trying to say is facilities, world-class facilities, and I'm talking about rehab, physio, mental, as well as technical and tactical uh, parts of the game. If those weren't involved in it, we would be, we'd be in big, big trouble. Um, because, say for example, like the works of use, the facilities at IT Carlo are professional level because of because it's on their, you know, their campus and they have the gyms and they have all the the recording facilities and and everything else to go with it. You know, all, all the um, all the other things you need for a club. Technically, you could run a professional club from there because of what's there, and it'd be the same at Limerick and the same at WIT. You know, but. Um, it's the fact that colleges are, are, are almost filling the, the void that we we don't have as a country. You know that that middle ground, that middle bit. I mean, I remember at Carlo when I was at Carlo Kilkenny. It was an uphill. It is, it is an uphill struggle to try to build a club in, in, at the moment in the uh, environment we've got. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything. It is an uphill struggle. I mean, Kilkenny League kindly donated the pitch as such for us to play on um, Carlo uh, gave us places, places to train the Lock and Bridge and places like a, a massively reduced um, price to be able to train there but without them sort of people helping so it's really the sport helping itself if you get what I'm trying to say to keep it afloat we need more external help to, to build the, the sport and when you've got you know, ministers and, and people in power that almost poo-poo the sport, it's, it's a little bit disheartening. No, I, I, you know? I, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with that. And, like, it's one thing that I've often said in terms of, like, you've seen with, with some clubs, like, I spent some time in college in Blanchestown and now the TUD, it's now TUD, uh, Blanchestown oh. campus. And, like, the amount of times you'd see even League of Ireland clubs using the facilities to train because... They don't. They don't necessarily have their their own permanent home training ground unless they no, want to use well, the stadium. Well, I mean, I remember going up to the AUL and Rovers and Sham and, and Shells were training up there. You know what I mean? You're thinking these are the most well-known club names outside the country. When I was living in London, I knew about Shout Rovers. I'd heard their name. You got know what I mean? Watford is was well known in England. You know, these are well-known clubs, and. Um, it's until you come here, you realise that Jesus Christ, you know, they're running on on a shoestring. They run really well on a shoestring, if you get the drift. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about all the facilities they need, the physiotherapy, the the, the food, everything. You know, it's all run on a, a run on kindness and run on voluntary stuff. Now, I go back to what I said earlier on. In the last couple of years, thank heavens, it's moved on. Some of the clubs, a lot of the like Premier Clubs and that now, have got like directors of football and, and people running the underage structure, which is fantastic. But we need to keep that momentum going. And it's central. Now it needs to be central uh, funding, government funding, to push that on. Could potentially, this is a question that I've seen raised a little bit regarding the League of Ireland, but could, could it potentially work for the National League as well? if we eventually went to an All-Ireland National League as well as um, League of Ireland? I think, now, I, I, again, I, people have very strong views on this, I think a National League would be fantastic simply because, and I'm not being political about it, it 
work for rugby? Why can't it work for, for our sport? And as much as there's more money going to be generated, but also there's going to be more facility generated and there's going to be uh, more people who want to get involved because of the National uh, uh, League. But more importantly, the Division One League will become more important because there'll be more teams in it. You know what I mean? You, leagues work well when there's a lot of teams in them. And you've got to have two leagues. You can't just have one. You've got to have two. And a lot of the senior Leinster League teams are, uh, won't come up to the League of Ireland because of the the overall costs of moving up to League of Ireland is, is just not sustainable to them. When you think of how many clubs have been and gone, it's not sustainable. But if we brought the northern teams into it to make it two leagues, it might make it a bit easier for the senior Leinster Leagues and other leagues maybe to be given the chance like in Wales what you do you have to fulfil criteria to get into it but if the first team doesn't you offer it to the second team or the third team it gives people the opportunity but if we have more money sloshing around in the sport we might be able to help fund that uh, movement up and I'm talking about men's and women's football absolutely like I, I agree with that like, and as you mentioned earlier regarding the Northern Ireland club's facilities Everyone always says that, like, you just look at the facilities that they all have and it'd be great that if we had more money, we can have potentially some of them in, 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 in our league or even in in their clubs rather than their league. But, Mark, I just want to really finish with you. Regard, I just want to finish with Wexford Youths. Um, yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how preparation have gone. How how you you enjoying being in and around the group? Yes, I do. And, and I'm, my position in the club is more... I'm not a screen shout by nature anymore, but... Um, Steve and Tom do nearly all the coaching, you know, and, and I get involved with certain parts. But Tom will ask me my opinion on something, and I and I go and speak to individual players, um, just little key points, little small points that I might pick up on or see. And um, because at this level of football, it, you need you need players to trust you and get used to you being around them. Now, if you're the manager or the head head coach. They respect you through the fact that you make the decisions. When you're in a, when you're not in that position, you need to gain their respect through trust, and that takes time. So I found over the years that it's best to sometimes take a step back and let them approach you rather than you keep jumping at them. If you get what I mean. So that's what I do. I, I just help out wherever I can. I, I just, we discuss things. We do small sessions and we split the groups up. We have a group each to build up that trust element because you do find in women's football that a lot of blokes get involved in it for a year and, and go or six months and go or just use it as a chance to get coaching out of it and go and the girls know that so it takes time for them to start believing that you're not just a one minute wonder and you're not going to bugger off next week because you found something better to do you know no absolutely absolutely but, but the, pre, the, the pre-season went really well the COVID-19 um, forced stop has, has put everybody in limbo because all the women's players you've got to remember the men's league had actually started but the girls hadn't and they got to their peak ready for the season to start and there's nothing so you've got to rebuild them as such mentally as well as physically ready for the league again but that's the same for all clubs it's not just for Wexford use it's, that's the same for all clubs but when you're dealing with the level of, of a player at that level, the commitment they've shown to their sport, what they go without, to what they, they miss out on for that, um, 
it's exactly the same whether it's male or female they're a great bunch to be around I've been around them quite a bit in terms of doing different media things with them and any time I ask them for anything they're a great bunch they'll always jump through hoops for you but I've, I've thoroughly I'm, I will say this now and I'll say if you were in a personal conversation I've thoroughly enjoyed it it's been a refreshing eye opener um, I, I, I lost the love of the sport a, a, a few years ago um, and I mean I was never going to get involved again and then Will Doyle sort of talked me round to it and I also have to speak to a, a fellow called Eddie Doyle who's down here in Bunclody the grassroots coach who also kept pushing me on and, and, and getting me back enthusiastic into the game and I've slowly got back into my enthusiasm but being involved with Carla Kenny for the last few years was fantastic uh, watching a club grow from nothing and being involved with Tom with Wexford's use it's nice to see the finished article the other end do you know what I mean? How long have um, Go on, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, sorry, mate. I was going to say just nice to see the finished article and, and, and work with people who are in this, who are 100% want to dedicate themselves to the sport or want to do the best they can in the sport. I'm going to give an example. Kylie, the, the captain, okay. got off her honeymoon so, because it crashed with stuff, you know? That's the sort of level of people you're dealing with. Absolutely dedicated, one hundred percent. Yeah, I, I love Kylie for, for uh, she just shows everything on the pitch, off the pitch. She's the ultimate, the ultimate soccer player for me, and I'm just, just a but massive. She'll make a, she'll make a fantastic coach, mate. It's just a massive shame she hasn't been capped for Ireland. Yeah. That's my only one thing, and many people have called for that over the years. She's a, an ultimate professional. But I do actually agree with you on that. I think she'd be a f- superb coach, like. I remember talking to her about when she got involved with the club and she was saying that she nearly didn't come and, come and get involved. Um, John Flood had her down for a trial game and he took over and she nearly didn't come. Like, yeah. Thankfully, we have people like that in our what sport. A loss. What a loss to use and to win football because I tell you what, she made a good touch. It's not just because she played the game at the highest national level, but more importantly, the way she communicates with the other players, the way they listen to what she says. I, I've, I mean, I've been there since the start of the pre-season. Not one player of back chats her. Not one player puts the, changes their eye contact with her when she's talking. That means they're listening to what she's saying. So she must be able to communicate what she's what she's trying to get over really well. But that's all you need as a coach. Absolutely. You know, you need, to, you need to get the information you've got in your head mm-hmm. into the other person. Yeah, no, absolutely. And... I, as much as I don't want to see her as a coach for a couple of, couple of more years I'd like to see her playing for a few more years I know when she does make that transition she'd be a valuable asset for whatever whatever club or whatever team get her, get their hands on her just on we'll finish with this final point on, on Carlo Kilkenny it must be the ultimate aim to have a, a senior women's team in that region definitely um, my, my, my last few meetings and when I was there I was pushing and pushing and pushing and winding people up because I wanted the under-19s boys. I didn't care that they didn't feel the, the players were ready, the club wasn't ready. I said, look, we're not here to win anything. We're here to develop players. If you can get away from this winning something to the development side of the game, it'd be better. And the only way you're going to progress the women's game in that area is to have a full-time, well, not full-time, I suppose, but to have a women's team. Now, that group of players that Gemma's got there, that nucleus, within two years, will be under 19. I think that's ready for, for women's football. Yes, they might not win much, but 
it's a start, you know what I mean? And she's got a group of girls that would be dedicated for two or three years that would be ready. Now, of course, you'd have some senior senior players or older players come in because you always need a mix. And as Alan Hansen once famously said, you can't win anything with youth. You know, you need you need a mix, but I will envisage because in two to three years there will be a women's team in Carlo Kakeni. Now, it might be just called Carlo, it might just be called Kakeni, I don't know, but there will be women's side in that area especially when Kilkenny United come out it's a massive region that really needs the women's game especially especially, like not even just there like you talk about other regions in Ireland there's a backstory to the Kilkenny United thing which is for another day but um, there needs to be a women's team in that area simply because you need a women's team in every area not just Carlo Kilkenny Absolutely. You need one until there. You, you know, you, you need one in tip. You need you need as many as you can get. Because you think about it, for every squad of 24 players, you're going to have another 80 underage players. You know, so that's 100 players in a club. You know, so for every club, you're going to have like maybe another 100, 120 kids and adults playing the sport. That's only going to be good in the long term, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like more participation, the better. Because the amount of times that we're seeing now, like the drop off rate for kids is is astronomical, and it's it's way too high. Not even just female, but also male as well. So we need to keep it's them fine, involved. Actually. And it's the, it's the usual age group of 15, 16, 17. And I've actually read a lot about the when I was doing the elite A license. I read a lot of stuff that I would never read usually, and I read a couple of reports about uh, why girls leave the sport. And a lot of it is peer pressure and body image and, um, you know, the social norms, as you would say, which actually drove me prejudice. It drove me mad because it reminded me of the um, of forced marriages, the arranged marriages in London, you know, communities in London, you know, where, where, where kids are made to do something that they don't want to do or they're made to miss out on something that they do want to do. And I thought, if we could just get that little stigma and that little bit out of the sport over a short period of time, it'd be fantastic. Because boys normally leave for different reasons to that, you know? It was just the one that made me really get to it, the body image one and the peer pressure. And if we can get that, and the only way we get that is by making the sport so popular in the country that it becomes, it flips the coin. It's more... People are frowning you for not staying in because you're so good, rather than frowning for you staying in if you get the drift. Yeah, no, I, I understand. And that would only happen for exposure. And then the game goes back to this thing about the cup final. You know, then with exposure is you, you. If you play the game at the same venue the men are, you're you're saying to people that it's equal. Yeah. If you separate something, you're saying that they are not equal. And then, how many times you tell someone it's equal, they only have to turn around to you and say, "Well, why don't you treat the same then?" Yeah, because that's what equal means, isn't it? Absolutely, I totally agree with that. But Mark, I won't keep you any longer. I really do appreciate you for joining me this evening, and I look forward to catching up with you real soon again.